Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. So I'm super excited. Well, anyway, I don't want to take up much more time here. Um, but I do want to, I know we call him Dr. Leon, um, and in his own right, I mean, he not only is a doctor of theology, I would actually say a professor of theology, but also um, is one who gives doctorates and hands out theo- theological degrees to people um, and uh, is, is very well, well, well studied in the Word of God and comes with a wealth of years of ministry, um, and he can share some of the early years if he wants to uh, on some of the, the people that were in his ministry that have really had a huge impact and uh, were under and are still under his ministry. But the point being is I met Dr. Leon in early 2000, just left South Africa, was very, very young at the time. I'm still very young. Don't let my bald head fool you. Uh, but the point of the matter is I met him I, through his son. His son and I were very, very close friends. We still are close friends. And um, he took me under his umbrella while I was at the school of Dr. Rodney Howard Brown in, in 2000. And he actually put me on staff while I was there in that short season. And I mean, it was great. You know, I was in America for the very first time. Come on, the, the, uh, this great land of America. You, y'all, you don't understand what you have when you come from a different nation. I'm just letting you know. So I love this land. God bless the United States of America. That's all I'm saying. If you believe, if you, if you agree, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. So I was super grateful and they took me in. I practically lived at their home uh, for that season that I was here. But his ministry deeply impacted me. And um, we're so honoured. You know, so it's not about elevating a man. I'm just honouring the, uh, you know, so I'm I'm calling you Apostle Leon because that's truly who you are. So I want to honour him as a, a, a tremendous father and apostle in the faith of the Lord Jesus. Um, that's got many scars over the years of ministry, uh, you know, for the cause of Christ. And, and uh, he's fought the, come on, he's fought the bear. He's fought the lion. He's taken down giants and he's got something that's been deposited. He's wrestled with God. And, uh, you know, they said, never trust a man without a limp. And so, uh, you know, I'm just going to say he's, he's wrestled with the Lord and God came out conquering him, um, but he's conquered for Jesus and his ministry exists to glorify the name of Jesus so that the purposes of God and, and your destinies can be unlocked to a greater, higher level. Amen. Was that okay? I didn't even script that. So is that all right? Or should I say more about you? He knows I'm teasing. All right, without any further ado, let's welcome Apostle Leon Van Royen. Hallelujah. We're so honoured. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Praise the Lord. Thank you. God bless you. What a great privilege to be with you tonight and tomorrow and Sunday morning and Sunday night. And uh, Pastor Mark just went over the top with introducing me. Um, It's amazing grace. And certainly I've tasted of the glory of God. I've been in those realms. I've been enraptured into the realms that have absolutely changed my life and my ministry 
And today I am the product of the cross, the empty tomb, the resurrected and glorified Christ. I'm the product of the upper room. I'm not a Pentecostal in the traditional wave a handkerchief and shout amen sense, but I am ignited with the fire that blazed in that room and the wind that rushed in that room filled the upper room of my life. And because of that, I'm here today. Unlike Pastor Mark, I never wanted to come to America. Um, Not because of you, but because I'm an African and I love Africa. All I ever wanted to do was to be a missionary in a village in Africa. Uh, I was so happy. That was my realm. That was my world. One day I was driving between... Port Elizabeth and East London, and as I passed through Grahamstown, and I started to go down the cuttings, I'm sure you've done that road, I saw this bright light shining on the hill, and as I looked at it, it became brighter and brighter like the sun, and I'm driving, you've got to understand the context, I'm driving through the cuttings, and suddenly I'm caught out of my body into that light. And when I get into that light, I'm standing in an African village. And to this day, embedded in not only my subconscious being, but my conscious being, I can see every blade of grass, every grain of sand, every indentation in the pathways, the doors, the wall, the thatch roof. And I heard him say, who will go? And at that stage, I had never read Isaiah chapter 6. And I heard him say, who will go and speak for us? And I said, I will go. Then he showed me the many things that I would suffer. Just like the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, he saw what he had suffered. And there's a, there's a tremendous price to take nations and to do a work for God. And, and you know, I, I do bear in my body the wounds, the marks, not only the backbiting, that's minor, but the the stonings, the beatings that went in the areas that I worked. But by his grace, I said, I'll go. And he showed me what I would suffer. Then he gave me a strategy. I was just a young kid. And um, I came, this is about my 50th year in full-time ministry. I, I stepped into my first village and God worked a great miracle. There was a child there who was disfigured, And instantly before the eyes of the entire village, he was healed in a split second. The whole village came to Christ. I took them down to the river and I baptized them. It was a winter. uh, um, East London, that hard pounding rain that just lasts forever. I didn't care. I took them into the river, baptized them, laid hands on them got them filled with the Spirit of God and speaking in other tongues and more miracles took place and I reached my first village and then my second and my third and a hundred and two hundred and three hundred and in a period of seven years I was able to plant 65 churches, raise up a couple of Bible schools and I was so happy in that world and then one day I felt the stirring in my spirit and God said to me, that I should go into a season of, uh, of prayer. And, and so I fasted and I prayed. And one day I was sitting on the beach praying 
And I heard the Spirit of God say, go to the United States of America, shattered. Because that's all I ever wanted to do was win villages. And the, the, the favor of God came on me. You know Brad, of course, and Wayne, my, my sons. Um, one day I was in a village and it was intense, the hatred, the intensity, because it's in the height of apartheid. And um, I, I never went into the villages as a white missionary. I went into the villages as a missionary. It wasn't a racial thing. Uh, I just went as a carrier of the authority of God's word and power. And I had my team with me. Must have been about 20 of us on that day in that village. And um, we walked in and immediately we were faced with tremendous hostility, hatred. I was surrounded. It was like in the days of Jesus when they wanted to throw him off the precipice. It was like that. Uh, it was like gazing into the eyes of demons, not just people. I knew that it was demonically inspired. And the authority of God came on me. And I look meek and mild right now, but when the authority of God comes upon me, I go into another realm. And I will speak the word of God. And I said to my team, walk with me. And we just passed right through that crowd. Like a hot knife going through butter. We got into our cars and they immediately began to stone us and petrol bombs and we drove away. As soon as I was out of the range of the stones and the petrol bombs, the Spirit of God said to me, go home and get your sons, leave your team behind and come and reach this village for me. So I went home. I said to the kids, Brad and Wayne, I didn't even say anything to Bridge. I just said to the kids, Jump in the car. I'm going to buy candy. You're going to come and play with the kids. And we're going into a new village. So I drove off with the kids and I went into the village. When I got there, I was immediately surrounded again with that same hostility. It was thick. And I got out of the vehicle with my sons. I said, I'm not afraid to die. I said, I faced death many times. This is nothing. I'm ready to go be with the Lord. In fact, I don't even care about dying, and I don't even care about you killing my kids either. Because God's love was so great that he sent Jesus to die for you. I'll give my life for you, and I'll give my son's lives for you. But one thing before you kill us, I want to share the gospel. And they said, speak on. And as I spoke, the power of God fell in that village and I reached them. And it was amazing. I planted a church there. I put a full-time team working the schools in that area. But here's the thing. Like I said, I was quite willing to work in a village. The secret police of the Siskai government was there watching. And they wrote a letter, a report to, the, to President Lennox Sebi and said to him that wherever Leon goes, peace breaks out, change comes. So I got a call to go to the president. And he said to me, I'm going to give you permission to go into any school, shut it down. You don't have to make appointments, just drive up. He has a letter, tell the principal, I said they to shut down the school and you can preach there. 
and not only preach there, but you can use the school buildings to call the parents and you can preach. And then he said, I'm going to shut the country down, the whole of Siska. He said, I'm going to shut the country down for a day and I'm going to bus every school child, every teacher, every government worker, every soldier, every um, uh, uh, teacher. I'm bringing the whole country to the state grounds and I want you to preach. And he bussed them all in at his expense. It was about a million people. And in a day, we saw a million people or more give their hearts to the Lord. And just an amazing breakthrough, an amazing breakthrough. Why would I want to leave Africa to come here? Where you've got churches on every corner, Bible schools, in abundance, those days there were Christian bookstores all over before Amazon. You know, um, you could, why would I want to come here when I had the privilege of going on trails and paths where no missionary had ever walked? Sometimes I would come to the end of a road and I would walk in the footprints where someone had walked before me because if I veered off the road, there were still landmines in these war zones. And I would go into a village where they had never seen a white man. Again, not a racial thing, but the kids would think I was a ghost. <laughs> they would begin to scream. <laughs> and then God would show up, and then I was like the Pied Piper. I'd have kids trailing me wherever I went. If I wanted to use the washroom, there'd be like a hundred kids sitting around watching, and a washroom in Africa is a tree. <laughs> I know it's TMI, but it is what it is. I once went into an area where the last missionary that had been there was David Livingston, and reached that tribe where he had passed through in his life. And so I had the joy. Why would I want to come here? And unfortunately for me, or fortunately, I'm not sure, I had just done a study of the book of Jonah while I was in the season of prayer and fasting. And I knew the risk of going in the wrong direction. I didn't want to be vomited into my destiny. So we flew into America, and God told me, don't take one name, one address, I'll make a way for you. And those were pre-9-11 days, so when I got off the plane in Tampa, because I was going to go to Rodney's meetings in Lakeland, I got off the plane, and there was a man standing with a sign, John Zuckerman, who's your friend, he knows us, he had a sign, Leon Van Royen. He had heard through an au pair working in that city that I was coming, and he said, please, would you come and minister in our church this weekend? That was on a Thursday we arrived, and so Sunday he wanted me to be at his church. So I looked in my, what we call a diary, a schedule. I looked in my schedule. I said, the rest of my life is open. I think I can accommodate you. <laughs> So 
I ne- like I said, I never wanted to come here. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got here. All I knew is Rodney was in Lakeland. Let me come and see what's happening there. I just come out of 80 days of prayer and fasting. So that sounds so skinny. <laughs> it's amazing what 80 days will do for you. Not, not literally. I did have soups and vegetables and stuff, but 80 days of fasting. And towards the end of that fast one day, I was in a business meeting and the glory of God came and filled me, just utterly saturated me to the point where I thought I would die. It's a, it's a glorious thing and then you want to kick yourself later because I said, God, please, you have to lift your hand. I'm, if I could have just stayed there for another few seconds, the potential. That was the third encounter like that that I had. The first was when I was born again, which was a miserable occasion for me because I'd come out of the army at 16, I went in. At 17, I was going into combat for the first time, and I thought it's a good time to get right with God. (laughs) (laughs) So we were going to do a pre-dawn mission, and I I was lying in my foxhole just thinking, okay, we're going to get the command to go in and take out this terrorist base, and, um, and this is no longer blanks. You know, this is the real deal. So I better get right with God, and I'm lying in that foxhole, and I'm saying, God, I want to get right with you, and I don't know how. So I had a Gideon's New Testament. Every soldier gets given a Gideon's New Testament. So I opened it to Matthew. Have you ever read Matthew chapter 1? You should have by now. (laughs) It's where all the begets. And I'm lying in this foxhole trying to read this tiny little page, beginning, beginning, beginning. And I think, how does anyone find God in this, what I now know as a genealogy? So I put it in my pocket And I'd heard a story of someone that had got shot and the bullet hit the Gideon Bible, so I put it in my pocket. (laughs) But I said, God, if if you would keep me alive through these next few years, when I get out, I will somehow find you and I will serve you. And when I came out... I began going from church to church to find him. And because I thought I better pay my dues, fulfill my vows, you know, uh, God big, Leon small. (laughs) So so I, I went from church to church and it was a horrendous time for me because they were so dead. I would go in and I think, this cannot be the God of the Bible, the God of creation. This, this is like religion, dead. So then I moved from the Christian church and I went into the Eastern religions. At that, that time, this is in the, uh, the Jesus people were just starting to show up and everyone, George Harrison, the third eye. And so I, I got my cotton white shirt and pants and my my flip-flops and I started to eat vegetarian and um, I was was quite a good surfer 
And so, so it kind of suited that hippie culture. By this time, my hair had grown long. And, uh, and one day I was with another fellow surfer who was also a vegetarian. And I went to go buy some meat because I identified as being a vegan and a vegetarian who ate meat. Which, so I, I was going around the back of the store to go buy some meat because I just got tired of eating rabbit food. And, and, and so there was my surfboard builder, Larry Levine, eating candy bars and stuffing all kinds of... I, I said, you're a hypocrite. I said, this Eastern stuff doesn't work. All I do is I, I sit and I get stiff hips. Um, and I can't find God in this thing. I'm back to eating meat. This thing is over. So then I went to some cults and I came out of those buildings pretty quickly thinking, this is weird. <laughs> so one day a friend of mine invited me to a church and I said I would go. <laughs> and it was a Pentecostal church. Well, I didn't know what a Pentecostal was. You've got to get the context. In South Africa, Pentecostals were like weird. That's what was going around the word. Someone said to me at one stage, deep in my memory, never go into those churches because they lock the doors, they switch off the lights, and they catch the Holy Ghost. And I thought, ghost just freaks me out, number one. So I'm parked outside the church. I've got a surfer van, like we call it a Volkswagen Combi, you know, the camper one with like a dozen boards on the roof, very cool beads, big eight-track Grand Funk Railroad, Black Sabbath. <laughs> Deep Purple, <laughs> Led Zeppelin. <laughs> so I'm sitting jamming and this friend pulls up and he gets out the car and says, well, let's go in. I said to him, I'm not going in. I'm just waiting here just to tell you I'm not going in. Yeah, I said, these people are weird. They'll lock the door. They'll put off the lights and they'll catch the Holy Ghost. They begged me to come in. Eventually I agreed. I thought, I've faced bullets and bombs and death a few times. Let's see what will happen in this. So I said to him, I'll go in on one condition. We sit in the back room. When we see people move towards locking the doors, we run. So he agreed. So I went in and... Honestly, they weren't very happy people at all. They were pretty miserable. Well, I guess I was like a shock to the system. Long hair, very cool. <laughs> my flip-flops, my jeans, a surfer vehicle outside. Beads, curtains, incense, you know. And I walk in and they give me the look up and down and... <laughs> I so much wanted to sit in the back row, but it was full. I whispered to my friend, I said, look, they're all sitting here ready to run. The second row, because they filled the church from the back. 
The second row was full, the third row was full. I was on the fourth row, sitting right on the edge, ready to run. They never did put off the lights. They never caught the Holy Ghost. And I got out. I can't say I was tremendously impressed with the meeting. But I was impressed enough to say, let's go back next Sunday. So we went back and they had a, a quartet from, from America called the King's Messengers. And they were singing, dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. And I'm thinking, Grand Funk Railroad, Deep Purple, Jimi Hendrix, them bones, them bones, and I'm like rolling my eyes in agony. And I'm thinking, if I ever become a Christian, I'm going to have to listen to music like this. <laughs> but when I walked into the building, the people weren't friendly. That's okay, I wasn't there for people. I was there to pay my vows to God. But I sensed the atmosphere that God was in the place. I didn't know it. I just sensed his presence, his power. And so I thought, okay. So I went in, and the preacher gave the altar call. And he said, now, if you, if you want to get saved, if you want to get your life right with God, then get up here quickly. So I jumped up, and I ran to the pulpit, because... I'm ex-military. If someone says, come quickly, that means come quickly. So I'm standing in front of the pole right here, and the guy leans over, and he looks at me like this, and he says, you're an enthusiastic one, aren't you? And I'm not even saved, and I'm already about to become a critic of preachers. And I'm thinking, there's going to be two bright lights. The first is when I hit the side of your head. And the second is when you enter into your heaven. That's how I got saved. Wanting to kill the preacher. As you can see, it was a rocky start. So then he says to one of the ashes... He said, this is exactly how it goes down. There's no exaggeration in this. He said, take him out here. And I'm thinking, I'm going to grab your arm. I'm going to twist it. I'm going to dislocate it. I'm going to take the wet end and I'm going to slap you through the head. <laughs> this is how my salvation experience began. I want to slap him. Now I want to take off his arm, take him out here, and I'm going to whack him over the head with his own arm. So the man that comes down, I recognize him. His son was at school with me, high school with me, which I wasn't a great student. The fact that I've got so many degrees. I've got more degrees than the high priest of the Freemason movement. It's a lot. They have to have 33 degrees. Well, I have my own university, so every now and again, I just give myself a new degree. It helps me with my insecurity. Like, Leon, you're awesome. I'm going to give you the doctorate of awesomeness. <laughs> so we don't have wallpaper in my office. I just have, like, degrees. 
Whatever you want, you can have any degree you want, brother. Where was I going? Oh, well, I wasn't a good student, but I played rugby. Every South African, did you play rugby? Every South African plays rugby. We have a saying in South Africa, play rugby, give blood. (laughs) So his son had played rugby in my team, and I knew him. So he says, come this way, and they take me into a back room. And it's a mess. I'm a hippie. I'm a hippie. My hair's down here. I'm barefoot, flip-flop sandals and jeans, faded old surf T-shirt. And I walk into the back room of the church and I think, this place is a mess. I'm not only wanting to kill the preacher. I'm now criticizing the building. I'm off to a great start. So this man obviously irritated at me. What he doesn't know is one day I was in big trouble at school because of his son. A group of guys got around his son and another uh, Pentecostal um, who I later made contact with as well. And they had surrounded them and they were beating them up. Now, I wasn't a Christian but I was always game for a fight, especially when the odds were against us. And so they were beating up on these two Christians, slapping them. You say, okay, turn the other cheek, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I walked in, I took on this group, I beat them up. I got six of the best. You know what six of the best is. What's six of the best, Pastor Mark? They take a cane They bend you over and they give you cuts. Why is it called a cut? Because it cuts into you. I bear the marks of defending these two Christians whose dad is now standing in over me like this saying, well, if you want to get your life right with God, get on your knees and pray. That's how I was introduced to Jesus. And I'm thinking, this is American. Dude, I'm going to kill the preacher and I'm going to take you down as well in this very messy room. (laughs) What a terrible start to my salvation. Was I desperate for God? In the sense that I'd said, if you keep me alive, I'll serve you. And I felt like that's the right thing to do, but I couldn't find him. Now I sensed him, and I want to give my life to him, and I'm just met with this kind of resistance so when I see what's happening in these colleges right now I'm so excited I tell you man they can come as messed up as they are I would never reject them I would never despise them for the way they look the way they dress because there's a potential that in one of them could be a preacher that would reach a million souls in a day Anyway, I'm about to fall on my knees, just like he says, get on your knees. I'm about to go down on my knees, and suddenly I'm caught in a vision. And my whole life just goes like a movie in front of me. Just scene for scene, God shows me 
how he'd spoken to me when I was a kid, but I didn't recognize his voice. I can remember vividly the day I was sitting in church and this voice said, one day you'll be a preacher. And I looked at the preacher, it was in a Presbyterian church, and I remember thinking, that's the last thing I would ever do in my entire life. And I just put it off. Then the second scene was when I was confirmed. As a Presbyterian, my dad insisted. My mom, obviously, they were godly parents. My parents were very godly. They were not just religious Presbyterians. They were actually Dutch Reform, which we Pentecostals call them the much deformed. (laughs) But um, they they became Presbyterians because I'm English, and I was born in Zimbabwe. I didn't grow up in South Africa. I was born in a British colony, so I didn't speak Afrikaans. They were Afrikaans. They became English for me and my brother. So they took us to this Presbyterian church. Well, my mom wanted me to be confirmed because she said, unless you're confirmed, you can never have communion, which meant nothing to me at that time. Now it's, I understand the power of communion, a very holy meal. Uh, The second was, you can never get married in church. And I thought, well, I can get away with standing in front of a judge. That will work for me. And then she said, and if you die, they'll never bury you. So I thought, well, that'll be bad for the relatives (laughs) if I can't get married in a church. So I agreed to go to confirmation classes. And um, I remember when it came to them giving us communion for the first time, and I was a cheat. I never... We had to learn the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, the Ten Commandments, and the books of the Bible, I think it was, something along those lines. I would sit next to the girls, and I would just copy whatever they wrote in the tests. I'm sure the preacher saw me do it. He just didn't want to catch me cheating in a confirmation class and expel me. That wouldn't have looked good on his resume. He wanted as many people confirmed as possible. So I got through confirmation classes. When they were giving us communion, the anointing of God hit me. Bam! Whoa, what was that? Didn't know it. And now I'm having this vision, seeing all these scenes. Then I heard the voice of God say, I've called you to be a preacher, a carrier of my word to the nations. So I get up, I walk out, having wanted to murder the preacher, wanting to slap him with his own arm, wanting to beat up the guy who said, kneel down in the dirty room. I walk out, my friend who went with me to church, he says, well, and and this was like weird, what did God say to you? Like, I now understand that Christians, we just like hear God and we tell what we hear God say. I didn't know that. So I said, he's called me to be a preacher, to go to the nations. He said, are you going to be a pastor or an evangelist? And I thought, I don't even know what an evangelist is. But I don't want to be a pastor and look over the pulpit and say, oh, you're an enthusiastic one, aren't you? So I thought, that's the last thing I want to do. So I said, I think he told me to be an evangelist. So now I'm a layer on top of everything. I'm just making stuff up. (laughs) What a start. I'm coming back to get into America. Don't worry, it's just a long way around. I didn't forget. So that 
experience was very powerful in my life where he spoke to me. I had a true Damascus road. I heard him. To me, it was audible. It may have not been audible to me. It was like God was speaking to me. I heard him loud and clear. Details that I can remember every word that he said. And my very bad attitude about pastors, deacons, dirty back rooms, and lying. So at that same time, there was a very bad flu that hit South Africa. People were dying, kind of like COVID we've just been through. It was the same. People were dying all over. And because I was in the army, and we had to, I was in a high malaria zone, but malaria, the, the, the meds, firstly gave me an upset stomach, and secondly, they gave me terrible nightmares. Now, I was in some very high-risk areas. You didn't want to have a nightmare. <laughs> and wake up screaming because we were within very close range to our enemies. So I stopped taking them. So I I got malaria, 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 malaria. And so any flu bug or anything, if it hit me, I would go just the side of death. Sometimes I'd actually feel myself coming out of my body. It was very and I'm stubborn. I'm a South African. We don't go to doctors. No offense to the doctors. You just like, you just hang in there. And um, of course, I got hit and I really felt like I was dying. I mean, I was like done. So I said, I'm going to go to church because if I don't, <laughs> yeah, now with masks and you're not meant to go in public, I thought if I can go to church, maybe. They can pray for me because I'd heard that he can heal. So I thought, well, let me go there because if I don't get healed, I feel like I'm going to die. So I went in and I sat in the third row, fourth row from the back. I sat there and the worship hadn't started yet. And I said, God, I don't think I can even last to the end when they say, can we pray for anyone? I said, I feel like I'm dying right now. Can you please touch me? With this, a searchlight came on me. And I just felt sickness coming out of my body, instant. Dying whole. So after church, I go home and I get down on my knees and the windows open. I'm in my board shorts. I had no shirt on. It's South Africa. We don't have air conditioning in our houses. We just have the ocean breeze. My house was close to the beach. The windows open, the ocean breeze. I can hear the waves pounding. And I get down on my knees and I say, Lord, I want all that you've got for me. Thank you for healing me. I want all that you've got for me. Two o'clock in the morning, the power of God hit me so hard, just like after 80 days of fasting. I woke up speaking in other tongues. I didn't know there was the baptism and the spirit. I didn't know that I could sustain it or stay in that place. I woke up speaking in other tongues. I didn't know Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. Six o'clock in the morning, my next door neighbor, Larry Levine's girlfriend, my surfboard maker, lives right next door. Our houses butt against each other. Um, her wall my wall 
knock on the door. Wendy, come, come here. So she comes into the, the living room. She's got her nightgown on. She's got bed head. She's like, dear de blara. She's hardly awake. And she's sitting there. I start to share the gospel with her. I don't know the gospel. I'm a brand new believer. So God loves you. He said, you must be born again. I reached my first soul at six o'clock in the morning. The night I was baptized, or the morning I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. From then I started going out on the streets. There was the first encounter, salvation. The second encounter, the baptism in the Spirit. The third encounter was in a prayer meeting in that same church, still with miserable people. <laughs> I would have cut my hair if they'd asked me. I would have put on a black suit if they'd asked me. I, w- I, w- I was healed. It. I was surrendered. I'd, they just didn't like me. <laughs> so I went to a prayer meeting. It was small. Prayer meetings are still small. I hope you're getting something out of this. But that prayer meeting was different. We gathered in a circle and we began to pray and then suddenly the air went so pure. I was hit by a landmine. I was flung into the air. My vehicle, friends were killed, mutilated. Um, I had severe injuries. I had to be flown out. I spent three months in hospital. I know what oxygen is. The air was like that. It was pure as could be. And the room went ice cold. And then suddenly, I heard the rustling of a garment behind me. And I didn't want to look. I'd been reading a book by T.L. Osborne how he met Jesus and saw Jesus. And so I had casually prayed, Lord, I want to see you. I didn't. I didn't. Holy fear gripped me to the point where I shut my eyes and I could feel his presence getting closer and closer and closer to me. And then he put his hand on my head and I collapsed. I'd never seen anyone fall under the power of God. And I remember screaming out, I can't take this. It's too much. You'd think after one, two, three encounters, I would be able to stand the invasions of God's glory hitting my body. It's too intense. And then I went into this 80 days fasting just before I came here. I didn't know what I was going to do. I wanted to be a missionary. I want to be a revivalist. Everyone wanted to be like Rodney, drawing meetings, breakouts. I didn't. Uh, I respected Rodney. I could see the hand of God upon his life. In fact, just before I went into the 80 days of fasting, (laughs) this is another story. He had been in our city and I just hated the meetings. I thought they weird. You have people running and shouting and screaming and falling and laughing. I'm, I'm a theologian. I've got a brilliant mind. I've memorized the Bible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I couldn't even get into Bible school. I wanted to do so badly because I've heard God say, go and be a preacher of my words. So I went to my pastor, that same miserable church. We're going to get there. 
So I go with the application. I have to have a form signed by my pastor to go to Bible school. And I, I go up to him, I said, um, I, I, I want to go to Bible school. Can you recommend me? Can you sign this? And he looked it up. He looked at me like this. And he threw it down. He said, no. You'd think I would leave the church beaten up, miserable, offended. Somehow the grace of God was on me and kept me pure. I couldn't get offended even if I tried. I just, okay, I'll just do what it takes until you're ready to recommend me. I also went to him after the six o'clock in the morning, my first convert, and then going out on the streets. I said, I was reading in the Word that we'd go into all the world and to make disciples, and then I, I saw in the Word that we'd go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. I said, what do we do about this as a church? Is there any way I can be involved in that? And he looked at me exactly like this. He said, we used to do this, but it doesn't work. And I, I'm young, I'm brand new. I said to him, I don't think we have to be responsible for if it works or not. We have to be responsible. Are we willing to go? He said, go. What part of go don't we get? Is it the G or the O? So then he said to me, there is a group, there is a group that goes out and, and, and does evangelism. Why don't you go and join them? And I said, no, I'll, I'll go visit them and learn from them, but I'm going to stay here. And this utter disappointment gripped his face. <laughs> this is exactly how it went down. I'm not making this stuff up. You couldn't make this stuff up if you tried. It's going to come to where we're going. Don't worry. I've got this under control. These aren't just stories. It's going to come in. So I, I don't want to be in America, not because you're bad people, but because I want to be in the villages of Africa. I don't like Rodney's meetings because they're weird. I'm still a critic. I've never been healed of my critical spirit. So one of my helpers, close friend, Jackie James, came up to me, said, he, he said, what do I think about these things that are happening? And I was about to say, I dislike it in its entirety. It's weird. And instead, out of my spirit came these words, what I think is of no importance. What does God think about it? And I knew that I was the prophet and the donkey in one moment. <laughs> I collapsed in the lobby of my own church and I cried out to God. I said, God, the problem is not Rodney. The problem is not the laughter, the running, the shouting, the falling, the screaming, the weirdness. The problem is Leon van Rooyen. I want a move of God. Now, you've got to understand, I've already been, I'm walking in the book of Acts. By that stage, I've planted over 200 churches. I've got 
hundreds of Bible schools using my curriculum that I've written that I couldn't even get into a Bible school. If my pastor could have seen the potential that now I have over 250,000 Bible school students worldwide, graduated thousands, over 15,000 pastors have been trained. Right now, I'm mentoring 300 leaders and pastors besides all my degree students, my schools of ministry. I'm in eight languages, translating another eight languages as we speak, one of them being Arabic. And, and um, just today, the papers went off for the Swahili translations for Tanzania, uh, where we've already got schools in Zanzibar. 600 souls have come to Christ out of Islam. My doctoral dissertation is in Islamic studies. I believed way before 9-11 that the greatest awakening will take place in Islamic nations. How many of you want to hear a cool story? I'm not the hero in this one, and I'm not the baddie in this one. I have just heard it third hand, but it's true because I know this. The, the second hand one got it from the first hand, which was the pastor of the church. The second hand was Philip Smethurst. My, uh, I led Philip to the Lord when he was 14, trained him. He came to America. He flew in with me. He was at the uh, airport. He was in those meetings. He was in Rodney's meetings. Oh, let me get back to Rodney. Don't let me forget. Say, Rodney's meetings, okay. So what happened, Arabic studies, Phil, we're putting a team in Egypt right now. It's already there, Turkey, Jordan, other places we won't mention. So they get in the base. They go to this church in Cairo. The pastor says, you've got to hear what's happened. We felt compelled to go into a period of intercession. He says, we were, the way it would sound, they were in deep travail in the spirit, groanings and signs too deep, praying in the spirit. 500 miles away, a woman has come to Christ and her husband is about to honor kill her. He puts her in a Hessian sack and he sews it up and they got rocks, they're going to stone her to death. While they are praying, listen to this, 500 miles away, she has translated in her bag right into the church in Egypt. <laughs> Don't tell me we're living in, uh, in, a, in a dead church realm. The works that he did, we shall do also, and greater works. These are great days to be alive. She has since been put into refugee status right here in the United States of attorneys. Yeah. Powerful, eh? Pastor Phil Me. I verified it. I got it in writing from Phil. I said, I want this in writing. I don't want to be found to be exaggerating. That's exactly how it went down. So I'm lying on the, on the floor. I'm meant to preach. And now I'm, God, the problem's not Rodney. The problem's not these manifestations, what they call manifestations. They're not manifestations, by the way. They're emotional responses to the glory of God. 
It's a way more accurate way of saying it. They're physical and emotional responses to the glory of God. The manifestations are the gifts of the Spirit. Those are merely our responses. But anyway, just Theology 101 from Dr. Leon. <laughs> Some line on the floor. God, the problem's not Rodney, the joy, the laughter, the running, the shouting. The problem is Leon van Royen. So I meant to go up and preach. I said, I can't preach. I said, I'm going into the study. I'm going to go fast and pray. So I go into my study and I stay there 80 days, fasting, praying, waiting on God, because I didn't like what God was doing. Because we become pharisaical in our attitude so easily, so critical. We don't understand these things because we want to analyze it. One of my friends, Louis Else, from Victory Church in Jeffreys Bay, you know him. We're sitting in a circle watching Rodney's videos. Louis doesn't like it either. <laughs> Louis is about to get up. He thinks, I can't take another minute of this. South Africans, we're so critical, brother. <laughs> Rodney is a South African. You think we'd at least... <laughs> Louis is about to get... I'm sitting this side of the circle. He's there. I'm here. I watch him. He does this. Because you, when you dislike something, you find those who dislike it so easily, don't you? It's like you're a magnet. <laughs> you dislike it. I dislike it. I watch him. He does this, and he just goes flying. Three rows. From this, three rows landed in the front of the church, hit and filled with the joy of the Lord. Go ask him. Three. Bam! Louis carried revival. <laughs> After 80 days, a couple of things happened. The first is I became fully persuaded. I studied not only the entire Bible from cover to cover, every manifestation, every demonstration of God's power. I went through all the journals of revival. I have read them. I had underlined them, but I reread them. And the weird thing is, every place where there was manifestations of holy laughter, it was not underlined. Repentance was underlined. Tears were underlined. Falling was underlined, but not laughter. It's funny when you're blinded about something, hey? So my first great encounter with God was when I was saved. The second baptized in the Holy Spirit after being healed. The third was in that prayer meeting where he touched me. I didn't see him. I wouldn't look. <laughs> I was too scared, but it changed my life. The fourth was after 80 days of fasting and prayer. By this time, I was desperate for God. I wanted the joy I wanted anything. I was willing to run, shout, crawl, whatever it took, I was willing to do. But I wouldn't fake it for nothing. I just, you don't make that sort of stuff up. So I'd go into meetings 
my own meetings, people would say, hey, won't you lay hands on me? I want the joy. And they'd get it, and I'd go there. (laughs) Nothing would come out, nothing. And I got a brilliant sense of humor. That's my own opinion, my humble opinion, of course. I'm not a miserable Pentecostal preacher. Way back, when I first went into the villages of Africa, I was part of the original village people, by the way. (laughs) One day, I told you I've got a good sense of humor. (laughs) One day, we gathered to pray before going into the village, and the joy hit us. We got up, dusted ourselves off, and we went back to how we've always done it. And I remember that way back. I can I remember it very, very vividly happening in our prayer meeting. But I thought this is like something that happens and it's gone. Well, after 80 days, I'm in a business meeting. We're about to fire one of our elders He was causing trouble. So we were going to be very nice. It wasn't like a miserable battle. Everyone had said the good things and then had dealt with the thing. And now I was going to give this final word and say, you're done. And as I get up, the hand of God comes and touches me. And I go to the ground and I am hit with the joy of the Lord. It's weird. While this joy is just like flooding out of me to the point that my jaw is aching, my sides are aching, but I'm still this totally composed preacher, this theologian. I'm starting to analyze this encounter theologically. (laughs) The first thing I say to God is, God, you're a perfect gentleman. And this is not the way a gentleman would act. He said, I am not a gentleman. I'm God, the creator of the universe. You have called me a gentleman. I said, God, your word declares, let everything be done decently and in order. He said, this is my order. He then went on to say to me, your years in the military, everything has to be tallest on the right, shortest on the left. Even your pencils are in rows in your drawer. Even your paper clips are in rows in your drawer. And they are. um... I'm CDO. It's got to be in alphabetical order. He said, your order and my order are two different things. He said, if you would plant a, 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 a forest, you would have all your trees in a perfect straight line. He said, have a look at my forests. And then, I guess he was just 
joking with me. He said, if you were God, you would put the stars in a straight line and given names to each one that people could see what it was, the name would be hanging under them. I said, you're right. You're right. It would be so easy. I could name them. Then I pulled out the big one. I said, God, the, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. He said to me, you're not prophesying. You're getting the joy. And then I said to him, but oh, what about self-control? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. He said, self-control is not to shut me out of your life. It's to shut sin out of your life. I said, bring it on. Lay it on me. And that took me to America. When I arrived here, I didn't know what I was going to do. So people would say, what are you going to do? I'd say, I'm going to go raise up missionaries for Africa, which we're now doing. We've got over 300 working in Overland, more coming, another 700 or so in the next few years. We're doing a work there. But <laughs> I, I, I came here and I didn't know what to preach. So John Zuckerman, me, okay. So, so I'll preach Sunday. So I send the kids off to Bush Gardens, which that the hotel was right next to Bush Gardens. I said, I'll stay and pray because I'm a super holy man and very spiritual. Where they play, I pray. <laughs> well, what had happened is we got the double pass. The day before, we went on a ride and the ride was so rough that it put my neck out. So I was stiff-necked, which is probably very true in some senses. <laughs> I didn't want to go back to the park, so I stayed to pray and say, God, what do you want me to preach? And he said, I want you to preach on the conditions of heart for revival. So I get up to preach, and the glory hits the church. Just erupts. Goes into four days of meeting. I say, he wants me just to stay and keep going. I said, I want to go to Rodney's meeting. By the time I get done here, he'll be moved out of Lakeland. This is why I came to Tampa. I actually thought that I would go to um, um, Dallas and go to Christ for the Nations because I had a good relationship. They're missions. I'm missionary. That's all I've done. They, they would, they'd offered me a place. So I thought I'd base there. So I go to Lakeland eventually. And um, by this time, God's just worked miracle after miracle. I've got a brand new car. I've got a social security number. I've got a checkbook. I don't have an address. I don't have a social security. I didn't have a social security when I got the checkbook. I have nothing. Um, but everything is lining up. So we go to Lakeland. I'm standing in the minister's line to sign up. And I get a tap on the shoulder. Gary Montecolvo from Merritt Island, where now Overlander's base. He said, God spoke to me and said that you must come preach in my church. I said, let me check my diary. I said, well, I know God told you, and I think this lines up because the rest of my life is totally 100% open. I think I can accommodate you. <laughs> so I go there. And the glory hits his church. It's not what I want to do. I want to be a missionary in Africa. 
but I'm starting to get a bit of an idea of what God wants to do from me. So four churches join. We go on for like four weeks. Eventually, I want to go to Tampa because one guy said, look, if I live in Tampa, um, I can put my kids through Christian school, which was a huge mistake. But anyway, the whole country was in a blizzard. And I saw the news and I thought, we were in shorts and T-shirts in Tampa and the rest of the country is in a blizzard. I'm thinking, I can stay here. I can put my kids at school here and I'll base here. So we go there, uh, Living Water Church. Huge mistake. But And someone, before we got to America, said, now someone is going to give you an offer. It's a deception. Don't take it. But I didn't listen, you know. Like, I'm not that spiritual. Sometimes I make mistakes as well. Anyway, it was, I got through it. I worked it out. But it was a mess. It was a mess. Americans just. <laughs> so I get a call to go to Chicago to do a missions conference. I said, yes, my destiny I'm going to raise up missionaries for Africa. So I fly into Midway. It's on a Friday. It's snowing. Oh, Midway is a scary place to land in the snow on top of it. I mean, the runway is so short. I was waving at neighbors as they're going, because their houses are right next. Ah, hey, enjoying the blizzard. Good, good. <laughs> I get out the car. The guy who invited me, I met him in Malawi. Malawi is the heart of Africa, a very friendly nation. I've preached there. I've got hundreds of students there, churches there. Um, in fact, it's, I, the conference he was at was powerful. One day, we, we were going to the kitchen to eat, and I could smell the rotten meat like 50 feet away. I said to him, we're going into a fast right now. I hear God saying, go into a fast. I said, whatever you do, don't eat the food. He was very spiritual. He said to me, I'm going to eat what's set before me. I said, okay, you better pray hard. I went into fasting and prayer for the rest of that conference. He, he was large. When he left, he was thinner than me. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. <laughs> He's a nice guy. And I was so happy he invited me. He hunted me down by going to my church in South Africa. Do you have a number? I know that Leon said he was coming to America because God told me, don't take one number. So I go there. And this is exactly how it happened. They said, can you meet this Christian school? and tell them about Africa. I said, that I can do. I didn't want this revival stuff. I'm a missionary. So I'm talking about the food that the natives eat, the way they dress, their traditions, their culture. And as I'm speaking, the glory cloud comes into the, the, the school. Not a blue mist, a haze, a purple haze, I'm talking about a dark cloud. Now, I have, by that stage, a couple of degrees under belt of... I forgot about the dark cloud on Mount Horeb. 
I'm thinking, what's a dark cloud? It's God. It's got to be light. It's got to be beautiful. It's got to be blue or at least purple. As the cloud comes in, everyone is hit, screaming, screaming out to God. Even the one teacher who had a real bad attitude when they invited me because it was her class time and she was she like stormed out because I'm teaching on Africa. She came rushing through the door prophesying. I mean, I'm thinking, wow, that's a big change. It's amazing what a cloud can do to attitude. That opened up Illinois to me, which I've still got many, many churches there and miracles. Uh, Signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, I was in a church. I can show you right here. The um, I was in a, a church and um, last weekend, last Friday, exactly Friday. And um, you see that lady there testifying behind the pulpit. She's a pastor of the church with her husband. That's her. In that revival. She was led in blind. They had said to her a few months before, learn Braille, look at your kids because you'll see them no more and her vision was gone. She was blind. You can, I could put it on audio. She was blind. They led her to me in the healing line in this revival. And I had my Bible in my hand. And the authority of God gripped me. Remember I said the authority of God grips me. The authority of God gripped me. I didn't lay my hands on her eyes. I pushed my Bible into her hands and I said, Woman, in the name of Jesus, read. And her eyes were opened. And she was testifying. Now, she not only held my Bible. Those days it was actually a printed Bible. Now I travel with this because I'm a geek. I think it's not a nice word, but I'm changing it. I've got a doctorate. Geek is a nice word. She not only was healed, but now she's running my Bible school in her church. When they invited me to that church to preach, they didn't know because she had been blind. They led her when I gave her my Bible and her eyes were open. I went down the line. I didn't like, let's stay here and celebrate. For me, if someone's healed, that's what I expect. I'm not like going to make a major thing of it. Next, 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 I'm going down the line. So I never got to actually meet her because when I was done, they took me into the green room. I had my three bodyguards around me and they ushered me out. Someone dabbing my brow. I'm making that stuff. I'm not like that. But I never met her. And then she never saw me up in, because I moved away. So she didn't even know my name. Who remembers Van Royen? The best of times. You, you South African, you didn't even spell it correctly. Yeah, it's the other one. It's lowercase v. Yeah. No one knows. I've been called Van Ruijen, Ruin, Royen. Rujan is the most popular one that I get. Or it's like me giving a order at Starbucks. Yeah, I'd like a grande dark roast 
with a dash of half and half and one raw sugar. And I get this like, um, okay. And then I drive up to the window and it's like, I wonder what miracle I'm going to receive today. <laughs> Do we have any baristas here? My name is Leon, L-E-O-N, not Leo. Leon. <laughs> They've never spelt my name correctly at Starbucks. I've never got a, you got me a good drink today. Thank God, because I really needed it. I'm not addicted, but I like it. Someone said, how dare you support Starbucks? I said, listen, I don't support Starbucks. I just like the coffee. I'm not supporting their politics. I like the flavor. They said, well, Dunkin' Donuts has got... I said, Dunkin' Donuts buys their coffee that's already been used. Then they reuse it. It's so weak. So I get to America, revival breaks out, God begins to give us favor upon favor, and uh, then I take revival to Italy, to Bulgaria, to Greece, throughout the Caribbean, Central, South America, Canada, and then back to Africa. Do you remember Sam Stark? He was in my meeting in Africa. Sam was pretty conservative before. I think stuff has happened. But anyway, Sam Stark was in that meeting. And it was at the University of Port Elizabeth. Church of the Nations had gathered there. And I'm preaching. And Sam is sitting in the pastoral row and he dives. And he starts swimming in the front. I'm preaching. I'm thinking, this is weird. I've seen running, shouting, falling, rolling, laughing, now swimming. Others start diving. I mean, this is contagious. I'm standing looking at this. I don't know if someone read my mind, my mail. Some guy walks up to me and says, do you see it? I said, yes, I see it. He said, no, you don't. I said, no, I see people are like pretending they're swimming. He said, there's a river. There's a river. Can't you see it? I said, I'm the man of power for the hour, God, and they can see something I don't even see it. I just preach feeling nothing, seeing nothing, and they having the blast of their lives. So the university had a high stage. So I just jumped to put my hand on my nose and I jumped in. <laughs> woo, woo. This is my faith. That was weird. I love the church. I really, really love the church. I'm going to come in for a landing now on this thing. If you've ever flown with me, don't believe a word I'm saying. 
I'm going to circle the airport for about 10 times before I land this thing. But anyway, I am coming in for a landing. I love the church. I'll tell you why I love the church. Tomorrow, Sunday, my core values for my ministry in life are very simple. I'm going to give these four to you. One day I said, I want to give you four truths. I want to give you four truths. Number one, I want, when I minister, people to be lovers of God. Loving God is the most important thing. You can't preach commitment, loyalty, generosity. Love produces commitment, loyalty, generosity, spirituality, love for God, and then love for one another. It's okay, just keep it. Just. I'm going to enjoy it. I, I feel nothing, but I'm going to have fun with you. So, number one, love for God. Number two, loyalty to the church, to your church. Why? Because he loves the church. The worship team, he is here. Where two or more are gathered, there he is. Tangibly at times. But if you don't have the tangibility, we know theologically he is with us. Here's the thing is, Christ having loved the church gave himself for it. He didn't just die for your salvation. He died for a glorious church, his bride, his body, his temple, his people, his holy nation. He loves the church. But unfortunately, there's people in the church. Like, if you weren't here, the church would be perfect. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Take us out of the picture. The church is going to be so perfect, so holy, so pure. <laughs> but because we are here, <laughs> people get hurt, offended, criticized. I wanted to beat the preacher up. Criticize the background. People get offended when they say to you, well, why don't you go join them? People leave the church for that. I didn't. I kind of hung in. Because to me, this is where I got saved. This is where I belong. Wasn't like, was it perfect? No, they weren't friendly. I irritated the pastor. It was so bad. I wanted to tithe. I went to them, and they had a table with the, those in South Africa. They give you an envelope with your number on, because your left hand mustn't know what the right hand is doing. <laughs> I went to them. I said, can I have some tithing envelopes? They said to me, no. <laughs> yeah, that's how much they disliked me. They wouldn't even give me tithing envelopes. <laughs> I must have been so messed up. I was, but that's another story. When they don't want to take your money, you got to know you got a problem. <laughs> so the church is filled with people. People cause problems. Because of problems, people think we're hypocrites. They think that we're weird because we laugh, we fall, we run. They don't understand. I dislike it. 
what do I think is of no importance? What does God think? If I was in TV ministry, I wouldn't have Rodney on my church. I'd get some Baptist dude who's an accurate theologian. Because that's way more impressive if you want to build an audience. But if you want to raise up an army, you better have some spirit-filled, authentic Acts chapter 29 kind of people. I eventually moved from Port Elizabeth to East London. And the pastor breathed a sigh of relief. I joined a Pentecostal church and I got involved. I was a good surfer. I wasn't good. I was brilliant. I was awesome. (laughs) I won competitions, but I was bold in my faith. I am still. I led many of the surfers to the Lord. In fact, Parents were annoyed at me because the press heard what God was doing through me reaching the surfers and they did an interview with me and I said, these kids have been delivered from drugs, from alcohol. And the parents were in an uproar because their kids were getting saved and delivered. The parents were annoyed and embarrassed. It was weird. The hate mail I got for kids getting saved and filled and delivered was unbelievable. So that church was filling up with kids. One day, Mike Petzer, you know Mike. He's a kid. He's 14 years old in my youth group. He's now about 15. I get a call. Hey, the elders want to meet with you. I said to Mike, hey, come with me. You can sit in the car, be praying, because I'm discipling him. Uh, I think they're going to allow me to go to Bible school. This is it. This is what I've been waiting for. So I come into this room. You had to be there. It was like facing the Sanhedrin. You know when you walk into an environment and it's unfriendly. You know, like, at least when you're in combat, you know who your enemy is. There's bombs, there's bullets. They're going after you, you're going after them. There's no doubt about what side you're on. But when I walked into that room, I knew I was on the wrong side of the table. I just didn't know what I had done wrong. I was zealous praying, reaching my community, bringing them to church. (laughs) They say to me, we're here to discipline you. I said, okay, what have I done wrong? Well, you're causing people to leave the church. I said, who? They said, we can't tell you, it's in confidence. I said, who has brought the accusation against me? They said, we can't tell you, it's in confidence. I said, it's weird, we call ourselves full gospel. But then we like the hallelujahs, the praise the Lord, and those elements. But when it comes to Matthew 18, we just like throw it out. Shouldn't someone have come to me and said, Leon, you're causing trouble in the church. And if I would listen to him, then I would be rescued and we would be in right relationship. And if I didn't listen, then someone would come with as a testimony. And then you would bring me before the Sanhedrin to discipline me. They said, well, we can't, it's in confidence. So I said, well, if you're going to do that, then in confidence, I'm going to tell you that I'm leaving the church. 
I don't accept your terms of discipline. They said to me, you can attend, but you can't pray, you can't preach, you can't prophesy. I said, I'm Pentecostal. I preach, pray, prophesy, and I'm willing to die. That's what we do. I said, no, you can't. You are under discipline. I said, I'm out of here. I went back home. I said to my wife, I'm done. Never going back to church. I'm just going to love God. I'm going to surf. I'm going to read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll tell people about Jesus. But I'm done with church. Bunch of hypocrites. So <laughs> she went off to another church because we weren't welcome at that one. She said, are you going to come with me? I said, I'm never going back to church. So I'm staying here. I'll look after the kids. I'd never looked after kids. We had maids doing that stuff. <laughs> so those were the days when you didn't have disposable diapers. When you say you're looking after kids, you're a very committed dad. <laughs> so anyway, I stayed to look after kids. And this is exactly the way it went down. I'm sitting front of the television and the Lord stands in front of me and he says what are you doing here I knew what that meant it's a weird thing when you're in the spirit you hear and he hears and there's no real communication you just one what are you doing here you know you hear feeling sorry for yourself. You hear offended. I said, Lord, you know what they did. He said, they found me guilty and they crucified me. They found you guilty and you feeling sorry for yourself. Then he said to me, if you don't get over this, this will always be over you and you will never reach your destiny. He said to me, are people being saved? I said, yes. He said, who does that? I said, you. People being filled with the Spirit? I said, yes. Who does that? You. People being healed? Who does that? You. He said, I'm there. Therefore, I want you to be there. He was gone. I wish I could tell you that I was instantly healed, even in that encounter. I was so deeply offended and hurt. I went back. Sat in the eventually I got in the back row, folded my arms. I didn't want to worship. I didn't want to pray. It's just like I'm here because he said I must be here. You can be in the building and not see Jesus. You can just be here in body but not in spirit. I was there in body. <laughs> the weird thing is the pastor, Claude Stevens, did you ever meet Claude and Nola? They live in Tampa now. Claude came walking up to me as the pastor, the senior pastor. He says, I've been waiting for you to come. He said, I've heard all about you. He said, I'd love you to preach. I said, if you've heard all about me, you need to go visit the Sanhedrin. Let them tell you about me. There's another side to me. I'm going at him, overreacting. He's come to me in peace. And I'm like putting all their stuff on him. Like I said to you, I'm messed up, man. I'm just a fellow Christian under construction. So he says to me, no, God told me that you're coming and I want you to preach. I said, um, I'm not ready for that. 
So the next week he comes up to me and says, um, I really want you to preach. I said, no. He said, um, well, I heard God. I said, I, I said to him, I'll pray about it. Do you know what that means in real Christian terms? Get out of my face. Leave me alone. I'm not going to be praying. Am I right? I'll pray about it. There's some things you don't have to pray about. So a week later, he comes to me, he says, so what did God say? I said, I didn't even pray. He said, I have heard from God. I want you to preach this week. It was a Sunday, that Friday, I had my first youth meeting at Sterling Full Gospel. And we were about 35 kids. And the next day we were 700 kids. God showed up. And that's where Phil got saved, Mike Pitts and all those guys. We just did a great work. God showed up in great power. And because of that encounter... I love the church. I believe in the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But yes, the problem is we know church by culture, tradition, and religion. We don't know church by revelation. Who do they say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church. What's the rock? Not Peter, the revelation of who Jesus is. So we know Jesus by revelation, but we know church by culture, tradition, and religion. So what happens is we come into church and we think like mere men out of our, if you were a Catholic, you show up once a week, you do your communion, you, you have that mentality, even though now you're speaking in other tongues, you're baptized in water, you're born again, but you still only interpret church how you were raised. People don't have a, a, a biblical revelation of church, therefore they're so easily offended, they leave just like I did, because I didn't know church by revelation. Now, was it right? No. Let me tell you the end of the story for that one. Seven years later, say seven years, I was praying. It was about midnight because I'm a very holy man. I don't really sleep. I just pray. When you sleep, I pray. When you eat, I fast. So it's midnight and I'm praying. And I hear a knock at the door. I go and answer the door. It's the pastor of this church that I'd once attended. But he wasn't the pastor then. It was his dad who was the pastor. He was the son who was going to assume the role after. So he said, I'm here to ask your forgiveness. I said, about what? He said, I lied about you. I went and told the elders that you were causing trouble because I thought you would be a threat to me being raised up as pastor. And I was praying for revival and God said, you'll never have a revival in your church until you put things right with Leon. So I hugged him. I forgave him. I said, brother, 
I, I mean this with all sincerity. I hold nothing in my heart against you. What you meant for evil worked out for my good. Because I was launched into ministry straight after being, I wasn't even wanting to attend church two weeks later or three weeks later. I was in full-time ministry with over 700 kids. Our church packed to capacity morning, multiple services, night. That's way before multiple services were even. The crowds outside the building were as much as inside the building. It was so powerful that you could make anointing, uh, announcements and people would fall out under the power of God. That's how I was raised in that environment. Yeah, amen. I know, I said I'm going to land, I know. I'm also a compulsive liar, dude, I'm sorry. Coming in for landing. Number one, lovers of God. Number two, loyalty to the church. Number three, passion for the harvest. Number four, spirit-filled with godly character. Not just spirit-filled, not just character. We must be not only baptized in the Holy Spirit, but stay filled with the Spirit. God intoxicated, filled, saturated, led, empowered by the Spirit with character. That means we pay our bills. We have manners. We have respect. We have honor. We carry ourselves with dignity. In our meetings, we may appear to be drunk, but when we're in society, for those who don't understand, we are sober-minded. We conduct ourselves with excellence, with a servant heart, with humility, with honesty. These traits must run parallel because if they see us in our giftedness, but in our character we are weak, they will think that this is all a game. And then lastly, I want to raise up everyone to be a leader. You say, well, if everyone's a leader, who will be the followers? He has the weird thing. The more leaders I make, the more followers are produced. You say, well, everyone can't be a leader. Well, God is the leader of the universe. And as he is, so are we. So something of God's leadership is within every believer. Leadership is not title or position, although it can include that. It's influence. If you lead someone to Christ, you're a leader. If you disciple them, you're a leader. If you're a father, you're a leader. If you're a mother, you're a leader. If you're an uncle, you're a leader. If you're an aunt, you're a leader. If you're a grandpa or grandma, you are a leader. In society, we need godly leaders. In business, we need godly leaders. In sport, we need godly leaders. And so those are the things that I'm going to try and awaken in you this very short weekend, these qualities, these traits. Why? Because I want to raise up world-changing believers. Can a city be saved in a day? Yes. Yes and yes. Paul is shipwrecked. He's on an island. And within a day, he's got a church going. You understand? You carry such power, such influence. Most people just haven't realized who they are, whose they are, and what they've been given. They're living at such a low level of faith and expectation. Come on. To win this world is possible. Yeah. 
to change this world as possible. How? One soul at a time, one miracle at a time, one family at a time. And as we advance as a mighty army, we don't have to be many. 300 is more than enough to take this region. Hallelujah. 120 filled with the Spirit of God, 3,000 saved. 5,000 saved. Daily the Lord was adding to the church. He's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If the church has not been added, something is wrong and it's not from God's side. All we have to do is get desperate, broken, open, healed, surrendered, and start making God who He's meant to be in our lives, Alpha and Omega and everything between those two points. Not just Lord in name, but Lord in deed. And watch things start to happen in and through your life. I've lived an adventure. I'm 70 years old. By the grace of God, I have seen multiple, multiple miracles. Blind, deaf, dumb, lame, paralyzed, dead. You name it, I've seen it by the grace of God. Legions come out and... The truth is, I'm just like you, just a God-hungry, God-seeker. Has God put His hand on my life? Yes, but that same hand that has touched me has touched you. We're just gifted maybe differently. I'm doing a study on Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was a cupbearer, but he rebuilt a city. Hallelujah. By making himself available to God. There's not one of you that can't do a great work. Yeah, it sounds like an uh, arrogant statement, a great work. Only one great God. He is a great God. Nehemiah turned to son Balat and Tobiah when they said, come to the valley of Ono. He said, I am doing a great work. If you're going to do a work, you might as well do a great work. We're not saved by our work, but we are saved for good works which are led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, operating in dimensions. The works that I do, you shall do also. And even greater, greater shall you do also. Stand with me. Let us pray. How many of you got something out of these stories and these biblical truths tonight? Tomorrow night by the grace of God I say by the grace of God because I make this up as I go (laughs) but what I'd like to share with you tomorrow is the combination of faith and honor the secret to the supernatural release of God's power we were singing about the breakthrough the prophetic song was about the breakthrough I want to teach you tomorrow how to get breakthroughs how many of you have mountains that should melt like wax how many of you have giants staring you down right now situations that seem irreversible I want to show you how powerful faith is but it's got to be linked faith never stands on its own faith and works go together faith and love faith works by goes together faith and honor our culture is a culture of dishonor in the United States now if you were in Japan that is a culture of honor their greatest humiliation is to dishonor their mother or their father 
or their manager or their director or their pastor or God. Because it's in bed. We are the land and the, the land of the free and the home of the brave, but we are actually quite a dishonoring nation. We dishonor mothers and fathers, which is the first promise. And look how many rebels are in this country. Look at the lawlessness in this country. It doesn't start in the schools, doesn't start in the hood, it starts in the home. I want to show you from the Word. I'm going to give you dozens of Scripture, how faith and honor cooperate together that will open. I can tell you of miracle after miracle, but I honor God. I've been a giver from the day I was born again. I've honored God tangibly. I honor widows. I go out my way to help the poor. I honor the leaders. Even when they don't honor me, I will honor them although I did cop an attitude and leave the church. <laughs> but I've learned my lesson. Yeah. You understand? It didn't cripple me. I learned my lesson. I know how to submit. I know how to surrender. Submission is not a dirty word. One day I said, why have submit to your husband? A lady started to boo. Boo. I said, I've got to tell you the truth, honey. I didn't write the book. I'm just quoting it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he says submit, doesn't mean that you'd become the doormat to his abuse. When the Bible says, wives, submit to your husband, look at the context as we, the church, submit to Christ, who is a loving husband to the church. It's not an abusive relationship. That's not where submission works. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to pray. He said, I'm a theologian. I love the word. How many of you want to see miracles and breakthroughs in your life? That's what I want to deal with tomorrow. And then Sunday morning and Sunday night, we just want to go. Sunday night, I want to lay hands on everything that moves. And if it doesn't move, I'll come and move towards you. For impartation. Impartation. Breakthroughs. Hallelujah. There are some things that you can teach, and there are some things that you impart. I can do both by the grace of God. Bam! I'm ready. I'm ready. Hallelujah. This atmosphere is really good. I'm telling you, this atmosphere in this church is good. He told me you were okay. (laughs) I told you I (laughs) lied. He said, now, Leon, I don't want you to be disappointed. I know I've been through my disappointment, but I've worked through it. They're actually quite nice people. I travel about 40 weeks of the year. So when COVID hit, I was home for like three months without going away. I actually found my wife quite nice. She's quite nice. I actually enjoyed being around my family. It was so cool. (laughs) Church is a great place. He believes in the church. He loves the church. He's coming back for the church. Now, if you've been wounded, hurt, disappointed in the church, you need to get it right. It will hinder you because the church and Christ are inseparable. He is the head of a body. He's not just a head floating around. He has a body. Voila, that's us. You cannot exist on your own. Together we are stronger and better. When we join our faith together, nothing is impossible. 
Whatever we put before God in agreement is possible. We haven't really learned the secret of our power that is found in unity. We know it theologically, but we don't know how to activate it. Nothing is impossible. Hallelujah. I'm praying that tonight you would get a glimpse of the church in its imperfections, in its perfection. The only imperfection is us. But we are not saved by our perfection. The very fact that we're saved is because we recognize we need a Savior. And we realize that we've got to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. We have not arrived. Until our last breath, we will always be under construction. We'll grow from grace to grace, glory to glory, strength to strength, as long as we are pressing in. And if anything comes that seeks to harm your relationship with the church, with the leaders, put it right. It's simple. Put it right. Forgive. To be forgiven, you've got to forgive. If you don't forgive, it will limit your life. It will limit your prayers. He loves the church. He believes in the church. He's coming for the church, not for you, for us. <laughs> now you should be in there, but he's coming for the church. That's how much he loves the church. The gates of hell will not prevail. I love the old cross that hangs on some churches. And I'll tell you why. Because it always reminds me, number one, of salvation. And number two, of a glorious church. He didn't just die for our forgiveness. He died for a glorious church. We will not be anemic, defeated, gutless, namby-pamby, weak-kneed, down in the mouth, feel sorry for ourselves, beaten up. Broken, distorted, we will be the reflection of His glory. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. In this world, we are bright, shining lights, revealing the glory of our God. And there is no weapon formed against the church that can prosper. Hallelujah. Lord God, thank you for your people in this place. Thank you for the pastors the leaders, those that are involved. And we call in these volunteers for the nursery, for the children's ministry, for the helps, for the others. We call them in. Everyone, not only attending, but engaged, committed, functioning, operating, fulfilling their calling, not only in the house, but in the world, yes. carrying your glory into the society. World changes each one, and I pray, O oh God, that you would place your magnificent, strong hand that bears the evidence of Calvary's love. Place it upon their lives. Now I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give Jesus a shout of Well, there you go. You heard it. Sunday night is, if you have breath in your body, you're going to have hands laid on you. Um, I'm so glad that you shared what you shared tonight. Just go ahead. You may be seated really quickly. I'm not going to take much more of your time, I promise. I'll only circle the in the air three times instead of ten. Yes. Asbury. 
Those meetings have gone non-stop. Right. There you go. Exactly. There you go. Point well said. We want what's happening in Asbury, but they're continuing 24 hours. We're great. I mean, you know, we're, we're good. We want revival, but then we, you know, we've got to be able to sit and, and be in the presence of God and, and hear stuff. Amen. I just want to recommend, he's got, he didn't recommend it himself, but there's a book there that's called Bold. Come on. The wicked flee, flee where no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. A whole book on boldness. He's got a book here called Capture, The Heart of God for, for the Nations. Then we have another one called Well Done, Thou Good and Faithful Servant. How many of you know the world's definition of success? What is the world's? It's everything that is involved a lot of the time in materialism. Well Done, Thou Good and Faithful Servant is the spiritual. I mean, it is uh, in, in the eyes of God to hear these words coming when you're standing before him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is the highest definition of success. Amen. And so we've got to be all about the heart of the Father. And uh, I'm, I'm just super excited. And, and uh, I want you to understand the nature of these meetings um, and this atmosphere. It's, it's layering. We're building tonight. We're building again tomorrow night. We're building on Sunday morning, and then on Sunday night, it's going to be like the climax for, for, for everything. But these are meetings that are, there are spiritual truths. God is speaking to people in this atmosphere. Wherever you are, you're hearing things. These truths are unlocking something for somebody. There's another statement being made. There's, there's something unlocking for you. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is speaking. There's divine blueprints. But what I am especially excited about and I know because I feel it in the spirit. Y'all hear me say this all the time. The Lord is literally, I feel the mobilization of an army. That's what I'm feeling. I, I just really feel like God is coming in. He's putting the pieces of the puzzle together. This is part of that this weekend. He's putting the pieces of the puzzle together as we go out and take territory. Come on. It's, it's, it's not up to God, remember. It's up to us. He did everything that needs to be done. All authority has been given to us. Somebody say, all authority has been given to us. He gave us the keys of the kingdom. So we're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. Somebody say, God's not wait, uh, we're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. Come on, that's true. Come on. Oh, thank you for your great enthusiasm there. Praise God. We're going to go ahead and do one more thing. If I can go ahead and get Phoebe, you guys, just quickly. For those of you, and I'm going to do this really quickly. It's not because we're going to dishonor this moment. We're going to just pass our envelopes across the board. If you want to give, uh, this is everything that's going into the offering is going to Dr. Leon. Uh, if, the, if you feel like giving, go ahead and give. I'm not making it a weak offering. I'm just saying, if you want to give, we're going to take up an offering every night. Those of you, you might be coming here four nights. Maybe you don't, you... You don't, you know, just be, be in prayer about what you, what you want to give over the weekend. And let's be a blessing to Dr. Leon for coming out to us. So let's go ahead and pass those envelopes out. And then when you're done, and if you are writing out checks, guys, make them out to DRM or Destiny Revival Ministries. And then if you're putting cash, just put that in the envelope. When, you've, when you have got something in the envelope, just put it in the box to my right, uh, to your left, my right, sorry. And then uh, let's just go ahead and have those passed around. We want to be a blessing to him. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I know we've got four nights here. So, you know, 
you're going to have the opportunity to give in every one of these meetings. But just be prayer in prayer about what you want to do. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Just want to make sure we do this and get it right. What did? Kim, Kim and I were saved at the same time. We were very close friends. Um, in fact, the first person I heard behind a, behind a piano singing in the spirit was Kim. It was unheard of. There was one case where a Catholic man got saved and I was laying hands on him to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I said, you can speak out. He said, I don't feel like I want to speak. I feel like I want to sing. And I was, I'd been standing with him so long, I thought, just do anything. And he started to sing beautifully in the spirit. And it was like that time when joy hit me, hit today, gone tomorrow. And I thought, until I met with Kim and he was playing, beautiful man, when the, Nepal, when the earthquake hit in Nepal, uh, the big one, seven point something. My son was a day out from flying in. He was stuck in in uh, India. So the moment the airport flew in, I said, fly in. He said, I don't have any money. I said, I'm going to forward you $3,000. Just buy some shovels and picks and start digging bodies and helping people get water and just do what you can with $3,000. I sent it to him. And then we got more raised and more raised, eventually hundreds of thousands. But Kim got behind Matthew and financed him. And we were doing helicopter missions, flying people down at Kim's expense. And eventually Kim flew a team to work with my son in that operation. Great friend, great brother. Amen. Yeah, he'd been in my church many, many times. The one with the, all the youth from when he was young and I was young, we were doing revival meetings with the kids together. That's incredible. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is that everybody? Everybody given? Just remember, when you're, when you're ready, just go ahead and pop that envelope in there on your way out. But we're going to go out and close out in prayer and release you guys. Um, and be back tomorrow night. It's going to get better and better and better. I'm thoroughly blessed and excited here tonight. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for Your anointing. We thank You for Your glory. We thank You, Lord, for even tomorrow night, Lord, concerning faith and honour. Thank You, Father, that we are open. Let our hearts be open to the ministry of Your Word. I thank You, Father, that there is transformation coming. Lord, that, that this region is... Uh, Lord, we don't want to put it into the future tense. We are, today is the day of salvation. Today, Lord, you've got a plan and purpose for our lives. And while I'm saying that today, today, if there's anybody in this place, while every head's bowed, every eye's closed, just across this place right now, nobody looking around. Maybe you're here and you've never made Jesus your personal Lord and Saviour. Maybe you're here and you've been in church, you've got offended. You feel like you, you're backslidden, you're, you've grown cold in your walk with the Lord. Then I'm speaking to you. Then maybe you're here and, and, and this happens to people. They, they, they don't have the assurance of their salvation. What does that mean? That just simply means that if you were to breathe your last breath, and this has got nothing to do with fear. You wanna know where you're going to spend eternity. 
So if you fall under any one of those three categories while nobody's looking, this is, this is, if there's anything that's more important in this whole night, it's right now. On the count of three, if you fall into any one of those categories and you want us to pray with you while nobody's looking around, I want you to just quickly slip up your hand so we can pray with you. We'll all pray together with you. On the count of three, just go ahead and slip up your hand. One, two, three. Just slip up your hand right now. I see hands coming up across this place right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Can everybody pray this together with me right now? And, and if you raise, just while nobody's looking right now, if you raise your hand, just, just um, keep your hand, just raise, just for a second, just for a second, just a quick second. Um, I want, I want um, Amy, just go ahead and put your hand on Heath's shoulder right now. And uh, go ahead, Jen, put your, put your shoulder, Jen, Jennifer. Yeah, go ahead and put your hand on Heath's shoulder right there. Guys, uh, go ahead and put your hands there on their shoulders right now. Let's go ahead and pray this together, guys. Say this with me. Father, I come before you tonight in the name of Jesus. Say this. Your Word says that if I confess you with my mouth and that I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead, that I would be saved. So Jesus, I give you full permission to come into my life. Be my Lord and my Saviour. I thank You, Father, that You've washed me and cleansed me of all unrighteousness. You wash away every one of my sins. Lord, take out the heart of stone. Put in, a, put in the heart of flesh. I thank You, Jesus, that from this day forward, that I will never be the same again. Touch me, use me, fill me. Let me never be the same again. Thank you, Lord, that I know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Say this, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Thank you, Jesus. I am born again and I am saved in Jesus' name. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise in this place right now? Hallelujah. I mean, that's, that's of far more import, greater importance than anything here tonight. How many of you would agree with that? Praise the Lord. Well, go out with peace. Go out with joy. If you did give an offering, just make sure you slip it in that offering um, box to my right, please. God bless you, everybody. We see, look forward to seeing you tomorrow night.